0: This is the podcast for Indelible, the documentary in progress for the week of July 9th, 2017. So my goal for these podcasts is to leave an honest record of my experience of trying to complete this project. And in my last podcast, I mentioned that I had a hearing or status conference with a judge and the FBI's counsel regarding moving forward with the FOIA lawsuit. The controversy remains because the records I received from the FBI appear to be very little of Carl Harp's internal FBI file, and I've mentioned that before, and also the FBI began to want to exclude my documents from the time I was a professor at Carnegie Mellon University from the case and the request, as well as my father's documents. And I see no reason to omit these documents. No legitimate reason. I mean, they could just provide the documents. It's like not that many documents. It's probably you know twenty pages at the most. Um, there's and to make instead make me wait another three years and and provide a whole new request is ridiculous. And it's interesting that they didn't bring this up until. Um, until just recently, when some things came up that uh, would make those documents uh, a good thing to hide for them. But anyway, so I've maintained my position, and the FBI has submitted their motion for summary judgment, um, which, if granted, will dismiss the case. And the judge, Judge Slaznik, at the hearing, let me know explicitly that he's friends with the man who arrested Harp initially, that's Mark Ericks, and that he believes the FBI's attorney is above reproach and that I am not merely for my position. So it's to be expected he will rule in favor of the motion based on what I would consider bias. I'm supposed to submit an answer to the motion soon, but um, two weeks ago today, I sustained some injuries in a fall. And these injuries are impacting the speed at which I can do things. And there's other pressures to make my living situation unstable. So I'm surviving each pressure and remaining positive. And I truly believe this project is important and that it is important for me to complete my work for those who have suffered and who may suffer in the future if the information does not come out. But I'm aware now that most of those listening here are mostly associated with those who want the information suppressed. And um, I tell you, I, I welcome you, as it's good that we all sit within the same circle and consider what has happened here. I am sad that the judge openly showed his bias to me on June 13th. His clerk then left out my name and my input from the hearing summary she placed in the docket, so I had to file something to correct this, which I think I brought up last time. And um, but it, I did what I didn't bring up is that this has had some repercussions for me with the courts. It seems that federal judges talk to each other, and do tend to kind of lock arms in solidarity. This is not unexpected, I suppose, but it's mostly disappointing. I suppose these judges and law enforcement, who support mostly the wealthy, that I am now seen as a rogue to be silenced. And I feel their pressure more and more these days. And it's harder to stand with physical injuries but it's not impossible. I don't think I'm on the opposite side of law enforcement or the courts. I'm only on the other side of those in these positions who align themselves with those harming innocent people, innocent American citizens. And they seem to do so for the benefit of the wealthy or those with false authority. Honestly, I just cannot condone this. I just can't. Even if I want to be safer and more comfortable, I can't condone it. I've taken strong positions to support those in this story whose rights have been violated by authorities merely because they are on the wrong side of the story. The authorities don't seem to want to take any responsibility for Putting these innocent kids in, or for pulling these innocent kids in poverty off the street and using them to do their dirty work in dirty wars and then use them as scapegoats for crimes they did not commit. They seem to think that this is somehow just, as if the means justifies the ends. But this is a kind of murder of innocence and it's wrong and it will always be wrong. If you wear the badge or the cloak of a judge and you participate in the raping of innocence in youth just because you can or are told to do so, then you have developed a soul sickness. Your actions are not justified. And if those innocent kids then become ill and took lives of your group or others, you hold responsibility for those deaths as well. Again, the ends do not justify the means. You can change. You don't need to remain sick. You can heal. And so can those former innocent children now grown if you let them. Do not remain cynical. Allow yourself to feel your heart. Those of you who are still young, think for yourselves. Don't participate in a war against the innocence within your own people. Look at those you take actions against as the children they once were. Hold the adults responsible who harm them even if they are your peers or your superiors. John, Carl Harp's former cellmate, called me last night. I had not spoken to him for quite a while, and he told me a story about a time when he, Carl, Carl Harp, and Ed Mead were in the yard in, with the uh, with the entire prison population. This was at Walla Walla in the 1970s. Ed Mead was one of the founders of the George Jackson Brigade. He drew in Carl when Carl first arrived in prison. But when Carl tried to remove himself, Ed helped to teach him lessons that caused Carl to sustain injuries. And I can relate now that I have a cast on my left arm from my fingers to over my elbow Carl had casts on both his arms. But anyway, the inmates were locked in the yard of the prison, and Ed Mead was trying to convince the inmates to throw rocks at the guards in the towers. But John and Carl could see this was a bad idea, as the guards were heavily armed with backups. John had been in the military, and Carl had been trained and fought in wars. They knew if inmates hurled rocks at the guards, many inmates, corralled in the yard as they were, would lose their lives. So Carl explained to the inmates that this was a bad idea and why it was tactically a bad idea. So for that day, no one died. That was a good action taken by Carl. It was for the good of everyone. And I want to share one other story. I watched a film last night. It was about a school bus that went off the road in the winter, full of young children, and it sank in an icy river. Only the older female driver and a teenaged girl survived. A lawyer with his own problems with his own daughter was working on getting the lost children's parents to sue for money. The teenaged girl had sustained injuries in the crash which paralyzed her. Her father wanted to join the lawsuit. He was really handsome and a former rock musician. He had been taking her to this barn for years he lit candles and told her he would build her a stage like this just for her, where she could be a rock star. But in the meantime, he used the set to have sex with her. And she didn't know how to stop him, because she loved him. He was her father. He had authority over her. But after the accident... Her father could not exploit her sexually anymore. And instead she saw how he was trying to exploit both her and the dead children who lost their lives on the bus for money through the lawsuit. So when it became time for her deposition, she told a simple lie and said the driver had been speeding This shut down the lawsuit. And her father looked at her with terror in his eyes. What would she say next? But this was all she said. It was all she had to say. You see, she had the real power. He had authority over her. But it was a false authority. And that's all I have for tonight, so take care.